What is up, you guys? Welcome to episode 15 of your favorite podcast and top 20 podcasts in health, fitness, bodybuilding in America. I am your host, Justin Mahaley, alongside my co-host, Scott Simmons. Today, we talk about how we grow. We cover some physiological functionings that all relate to how we grow, to anabolism, to, to catabolic natures as well. We cover it all, and it's going to be really good. We're going to talk about anabolic signaling. We're going to talk about homeostasis and its role. We're going to talk about how adaptive muscles are. Why are muscles considered plastic? We talk about MPS versus MPB. Man, we have a lot inside. Hey, listen to me. Grab your notepad and be ready because we're about to drop a lot of knowledge on you. Episode 15. I'll see you inside. I find it really amazing that the human body is just as adaptable as it is. Mm-hmm. Like we, we talk about a lot on this podcast, like every, every single part of it's so malleable mm-hmm. um, other than our eyeballs. <laughs> Joe, our eyeballs are the only thing that don't grow really from birth all the way through. You're telling so, me my eyeballs are the same size, the same size when I came out of the yeah, womb. They're the same size right now. as when you came out of the womb. Isn't that, isn't that wild? My head's probably the same size. Your eyeballs don't grow. What are what eyeballs are like? consisting of i I don't i don't know it's obviously like not a muscle it's not yeah you ever looked at a cat's eyeballs i haven't really intently go look at kobe's eyeballs really yeah it's like a it's almost like a a glass sphere and then the eye is underneath the sphere no shit do you know why that is is that like is that a protect it has to be a protective mechanism that they adapted over years or like to help i don't know if it helps them see at night because i know they're Ah, yeah yeah see further i don't know that's dude that's very interesting yeah you'll see your eyeballs are the only thing and you know i what i find super fascinating is like things like our teeth Mm -hmm. like they even grow slightly Mm -hmm. throughout us like living like obviously get two your, sets of teeth. obviously you have your baby teeth yeah but like the next one come like that's what that's <laughs> dude i mean think about the adaptation mm-hmm. over the, everything that we have right now on this day uh it's evolved over so long to get here mm-hmm. like including us mm-hmm. like what the fuck did we start as yeah like we started I mean, we believe there's theories we could have been amphibious. Mm-hmm. We were just in the water. Yeah. Not sure I believe those because mm. like at one point the whole earth was like, like there was minimal water and it was like all connected. Yeah. It yeah, was yeah. mostly land. Like pan- when it was Pangea. <laughs> yeah. When it was like all Pangea. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I guess our odds of like actually being amphibious just seem very low to me. Yeah. Um, when you look at like the biological timeline of how that would work out, like it kind of makes more sense. I just don't, you know, I just don't see it happening. Seems far fetched. And, and God, we're just so similar to things like monkeys that it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine that like there was not a, like, uh, there's nothing that's amphibious. It's, as close no. to humans, really. No, nothing you can point it's not like to. You that's came from like a dolphin. Yeah, no, like we don't act. Nothing about our lives really follows a timeline. Yeah. Of of you know what amphibious creatures mm-hmm. commonly show, but the fact that the body just constantly monitors and assesses. You know, you like you buy, um, you know, I'm a big car guy. You are, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. in the BMW, there's like 40 sensors around the car. Yep. Like you can't hit anything. Yeah. Even yeah. if you try to hit something, you can't hit a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. And like you find that so amazing. But like your body's doing that 
in real autopilot. time on autopilot yeah. for much more intensive somebody, <laughs> measure. Somebody yeah. made yeah. that BMW do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just adapted to fucking be able to do it. Isn't that yep. fucking yep. nuts? Whenever I get really deep in physiology, like what we're about to talk about here, I just, I always am just so mind blown. And I just think that you look at very serious operations or car accidents Mm -hmm. where people just lose a limb. Mm -hmm. You lose a whole ass fucking limb. Yeah. And we're able to adapt to move that limb enough to have an artificial one put in place and essentially still live the same way. Mm -hmm. So people can recover from that, but people are extremely worried about recovering from a training session. (laughs) And this is where we begin. Yeah. You can break your arm and <laughs> no, you can come back from it. You can break your arm and it just heals itself up completely. I mean, yeah, you know, having surgical intervention obviously sure. helps a fuck ton. Yeah. But the fact is, even after surgical intervention, your arm's still broke. Yep. And it just molds itself back together and forms back together to be a perfect fucking. Dude, I broke my hand. Did you really? And I had to have pins like probably five inches. Yeah. Holding my thumb through the wrist joint yeah to make sure my thumb didn't move out of place wow and now i have limitations on how i can move this thumb no shit. But, it's still, but it still fucking works yeah but it still works yeah that's amazing so you've never really gone in and done a training session just been really scared to death that you're no. just not going to fucking recover from it no i'd be all right yeah because it's because you know that was obviously far <laughs> more severe than a training session and it's something you commonly hear not to get too deep into this rabbit hole people training to failure mm-hmm how how am I going to recover from that? (laughs) What what the fuck do you mean? Yeah. (laughs) The fuck do you mean I go recover from you? You recover from everything else. Yeah. Eat some food, go to sleep. You give your body nutrients and you allow your body rest and and then you'll be fine. It magically does these things. (laughs) But how does it magically do these things? Let's dive into how we grow. And for I want this is probably going to be a multi-part series or it should be a multi-part series because there's far more uh, complications to many things that we're going to talk about here today. First, let's talk about um, very surface level. How just that simple. How do we grow? Training stimulus, recovery, homeostasis, training stimulus. That's the stimulus you place upon your body that you force it to adapt to. We have a minimum stimulating threshold point. I talked about it on the uh, Ace of Ace of Spades podcast with Anthony. Uh, minimum minimum stimulating threshold point. If we hit that every single day, body has something to change and adapt to. If we do not hit that, it does not have anything to change and adapt to. Oftentimes we see people looking the goddamn same all the freaking time who have built up a, you know, decent physique, like, like a physique that's beyond what's just normal. Mm-hmm. What's considered normal. So they're obviously not just exercise non-responders, which there are people. Did you know that no. there's people who don't respond to exercise? Really? Yeah. It's like, a very small percentage. Like when they recover, they just, just they recover they just, the same. They don't, re- they don't respond. Exercise does not. It's a, it's a genetic factor. It's a genetic limitation. So does non-exercise affect them also? Yeah, yeah. Non-exercise still affects them. It's so they just get the shit under the stick? They get the shit under the what? stick. What? <laughs> it, but it's still... So everything's a check and a balance. Yeah. And so, you know, we have, we have growing genes. Mm-hmm. That's what we'll call them. Growing genes. And when you turn these ones on, you grow. 
Okay. This is, that's how gene expression works, which we're going to touch on here a little in a little bit. Uh, gene expression is just what turns on and off and how that, that dictates how your body performs mm-hmm. and functions literally. So we have fat gain genes. Turn those on. Guess mm-hmm. what happens? We have catabolic genes. Turn those on. Guess what happens? Uh, this is sort of tied into the grow genes. So, um, so we have all of these genetic expressions to everything. And essentially those folks who don't respond just they don't have that on button. Interesting. Just doesn't really exist. Doesn't exist. There. Yeah. Yeah. That would suck. That I, would suck. That'd really suck. I wonder, man, I would love to like meet someone or chat with someone who's like an exercise non-responder, mm-hmm. but who still exercises regularly for the mental. Yeah. I mean, God, I would just feel like I was in prison. I mean, does it, that's you super know? confusing. Like, Cause I don't know the physiology side of stuff yeah. as much as you do. So it's yeah. like, it's really confusing to think about. You think that it would just happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like naturally it should just yeah. happen. There's also genetic hyper responders yep. to, you know, everything training, sure, um, sure. anabolics, uh, there. So like, and obviously there's the average, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you respond, but it's, you know, nothing heroic or amazing. You know, those people who are just in the average range, they're perfectly, they can become great competitors as well. It's going to take a lot longer, mm-hmm. but they're going to be, you know, if you have persistence, focus, uh, the discipline that it takes, you can become a great competitor as well. People in that hyper responsive range, those are ones that do some really wild shit. Yeah. Um, I'm more so in that you're consider you would consider yourself I, I a hyper responder. I would definitely be considered a hyper responder. Okay. Yeah. Um not necessarily due to my current size, even though I'm a lot larger than like a normal person. Yeah. Um, more so how fast it's happened. Okay. And you know, especially like white men, not a lot of white men do that in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, much more commonly seen in other races that okay. are able to do that that yep. quickly. Um, and so again, that goes back to our genetic expressions. Mm-hmm. Everyone has different genes. Everyone has different genetic codes. Everyone has different genetic expressions and the severity of those genetic expressions as well. So, for example, if that on button for growth is on a hyper responder, just like it's. It's like fast forward. Yeah, sure. Sure. Times two. Um, Now, the perfect formula is when the grow is on and the recovery one's on. So so that's going to be, again, we're going to talk about that external factors. Like, how do you respond to external stress? How do you respond to environment? How do you respond? You know, like jet lag. Okay. So, for example, someone with that one. They wouldn't feel much jet lag. Okay. So people are like, well, what's jet lag? Like you're making that up. Got There's it, someone who they, their recovery, uh, they're probably a hyper responsive in their recovery yeah. to elements of stress and external cues. Sure. Isn't that pretty cool? That is cool. Uh, do physiology is amazing. The human body is just fucking phenomenal. There's people who fat loss, mm-hmm. turn that on hyper. Yep. Go I on. would be considered one of those. Okay. For sure. Uh, very, very I would fall for me. We haven't ever tried. You're right. You know, it's like uh, Matt posted about, and I've talked about quite a few times, um, like until you've given like bodybuilding, this isn't necessarily for you. It, it is for you. It's kind of for everyone. Until you've given bodybuilding three perfect years, you have no idea what you're doing, like what you can, what you are, what you can respond to. Sure, sure, sure. And so that's another reason why I would say I'm, I'm a hyper responder because I haven't even done three perfect years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've done well mm-hmm. in that time frame. Yeah. So training stimulus, recovery, homeostasis, recovery, discuss how do you respond to stress, um, environmental changes, 
um, homeostasis, your system of checks and balances. So as we get started in this, let's just understand those three simple concepts real quick. Training, stimulus, recovery, homeostasis. Let's talk about anabolic signaling. This is the body communicating with muscles that they need to grow. There's also catabolic signaling. The body wants commonly less muscle, but also catabolism uh, relates to fat as well. Okay, so not all catabolic signaling is bad, but for the nature of this podcast, what we're talking about, you know, is how we grow muscle tissue. Um, so catabolic signaling, we start using amino acids for energy. Or we drop nitrogen levels. We drop nitrogen levels. This allows the body to be able to tap in and use the amino acids for energy. All right. So then that's just a byproduct or a side effect rather than the actual full um, intent there. Anabolic signaling. It also relates to fat gain. Okay. So oftentimes that's why when you see people growing like a bodybuilder in the off season, they're growing, going through, uh, you know, an an improvement phase. There are also accruing body fat with that as well. So they kind of go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and it's kind of true. If you've never gotten fat, then you're not ready to be a bodybuilder. It's pretty true. I mean, like the Um, the basis of it is you have to put on fat to gain muscle, right? I mean, it's just anabolic signaling. Like it comes with the territory. You know, you're pushing all this food and you're pushing all this training and all this recovery. And you know, with that, you're, you're pushing fat, get a little fat crew too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's okay. Um, as you go, the on, goal is to retain the muscle. You it is, to. it yeah. is. So, you know, as you go on, as you're, you know, you've been around this in a while, you'll start seeing bodybuilders during their improvement phase, able to stay pretty lean. Mm-hmm. That's because of um, a, a myriad of other factors, like uh, changing your fat disposition, mm-hmm. uh, changing your body fat set point. Um, so obviously your nutrient partitioning, your body's adapting almost to that yeah. lifestyle. You've already accepted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your body's adapting. Um, and, you know, this you know, This is uh, um, something that we're going to talk about here, too. Your body, short-term and long-term, is always trying to adapt to what you're doing and yep. to the environment you're giving it. So, like, now, I mean, let's say you've competed eight years. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been a fuck ton of times you've been pushing these anabolic signals. Mm-hmm. There's been a fuck ton of times you've been pushing the catabolic signals. So it understands and learns it doesn't have as much work to do or as much to recover from. Okay. If it kind of just keeps them both on. Yeah. But towards the goal that you're looking to get. So very advanced people. Absolutely. You can have anabolic and catabolic signaling both on at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I think advanced people oftentimes overlook is, yeah, the bigger you get, the harder it is to accrue new tissue. And obviously, you know, the smaller you are, the easier it's going to be to accrue new tissue. It's newbie gains. That's kind of what it's configured as. But advanced people oftentimes overlook the fact that anabolic and catabolic signaling can both be utilized in your best interest towards your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn that over time because anabolic signaling, and catabolic signaling, they both happen all day, every day. They're both happening right now while we're talking. I'm drinking a protein shake. Mm-hmm. Why am I drinking this protein shake during this podcast? Well, average podcast about an hour, 10 minutes for us. It seems to be now. Okay. My last meal is about an hour and a half ago. Okay. So as we get further away and I'm someone with, you know, more muscle tissue than most folks, 
Um, but actually, actually, you know what? Like take that last sentence out. Cause that doesn't even matter much. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't even matter for what we're talking about right here. The muscle tissue does not matter. So I'm drinking this protein shake because I want my anabolic signaling to be able to stay higher than my catabolic signaling. If, you know, I get hungry and I haven't had protein for about four hours, four and a half hours by end of this. And well, well, if you're hungry, there can't really be anabolic signaling happening right now. Your body's obviously sending you signals that, hey, man, like I need some nutrients, yeah. you know, I need some of that stuff. And I'm just trying to keep my anabolic signaling. Literally, that's why bodybuilders feed on protein so often throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And now, you, you know, if you go up and ask a bodybuilder like, so, man, why do you eat so much protein? Today? I'm sure they're not going to hit you with, well, I want to keep my anabolic signaling turned on <laughs> and my catabolic signaling at bay. But that's what it means. But that's a, that's literally what we're all going for. Like yeah. That's what we're yeah. all trying to do. here. Yeah. OK. Um tons of anabolic mechanisms and if anyone ever says well yeah justin got huge because he's using steroids well number one that's really fucking stupid number two that's really fucking stupid because there's tons of anabolic mechanisms Mm -hmm. to having high testosterone levels that's one that's one there's thousands of anabolic mechanisms Mm -hmm. That you can trigger to utilize. That's how just somebody for you. manipulates them from yeah. that works for them. Yeah. Yeah. So no, the reason that some that a bodybuilder is bigger than you isn't because of steroids. Steroids play a part to a whole. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do. And they play a very valued part. But let's not overvalue this because there still has to be an adaptive response to your training stimulus, your recovery and defeating homeostasis that you have to be able to provide on that. Okay. Now, if someone's a hyper 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 responder and they're a hyper responder drug to the training, everything. Yeah, man. I mean, there's some guys who compete at the Olympia every year who just don't train very hard. It's because they're they're off the chart. Yeah. There's such outliers that hyper responsiveness doesn't even, yeah. you know, well, it's like top tier athletes. Yeah. 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 It's such a genetic expression. Um, like it's a faulty genetic expression. Mm-hmm. Essentially that's what happened. Like there's some guys, you know, up there who, you know, I would never, um, promote someone looking up to, cause it's just not possible to do what they did because your genetic expressions just aren't that. Yeah. And if they were, you'd know. Mm-hmm. And there's no amount of work that can get you competing at the Olympia at 50 years of age, still yeah. placing top 10 yeah. when you've never taken a set to failure in your life. Yes. A lot of people here know who I'm talking about. That's now. why I hate those magazines. Like, get six-pack oh, abs, get oh shredded boy. for summer. And it's, yeah. it shows someone who's a, assumingly a genetic yeah. freak. Yeah. And they're like, I can do that. Most, you know, most of the physiques that people look up to, that's, you know, that's how they are. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who competed at the Olympia um, this past year. And, you know, after the Olympia came off everything and um, I saw him when he came, when he went back on everything, just like literally overnight, looked like he was up 20 pounds of muscle. Tissue. Like flipped a switch. Wow. Literally flipped a switch. That's cool. And it was like within his first week of being back on, it was mm-hmm. like, oh my God. Yeah. But like, you know, that's, that's how it is. Yeah. Like at that level, that's how the, you know, his body knew what was are. about to happen. Yes. It, yeah. His body just understood and it adapted so quickly. Growth can only occur, muscular growth can only occur under one circumstance. Muscle protein synthesizing has to be higher than muscle protein breakdown. 
that's your MPS, your MPB. You guys might have heard of those. While you're working out, muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown both rise. We're going to touch on this more after we talk about some homeostasis. This is going to be very, very important. Let's view homeostasis. So Scott has, has his laptop out. Mm-hmm. And you have a really nice laptop. You have a very good uh, computer for what you do. In that computer, there's a fan mm-hmm. or a cooling system of some sort. Yep. If it didn't have that cooling system, the whole thing would overheat and it would crash, even though it's made of very high level ingre- uh, what? product product. <laughs> overall to put together right yeah yeah so this has it has to have that ventilation system and that's essentially the only way that it can continue running that's your computer's homeostasis is that ventilation system okay it has so many moving parts and so much working and when a lot of things are working what's produced heat is produced from that technology it needs to pull it back body and so now if we dissipate that heat at a time because your computer has sensors when it gets hot enough that fan turns on yep that's its homeostasis right there so we have that as well we have that with everything yeah we have that with blood pressure when we're training in the gym you get a pump your body realized that you needed more blood volume in the muscles to be able to have more oxygen in the muscles, pull more nutrients in the muscles to be able to perform the task that you're asking of it. Mm -hmm. Blood pressure rises, heart rate elevates. Mm -hmm. These things are very energy expensive. Energy is being pulled into mitochondria, converted ATP at a high rate. ATP is being turned over very, very, very quickly. All of that produces heat. Your body heats up, your body's cooling system turns on, and you start sweating. Your pores enlarge so that more heat can get out. It's a really cool homeostat. That, that's we take that for granted, mm-hmm. and we're just used to it. This is a natural, yeah, phenomenon or but natural that's, response. That's cool as fuck. It is cool. I you didn't know, know why. That at all. You know why that happened? Because at some point during our evolution to get to where we are, yeah, the weather changed, or we relocated. We as a species relocated Mm -hmm. and there were tons dying from presumably overheating yeah so we didn't have a ventilation system let me ask this has nothing to do with well it kind of does something to do with working out i guess is that what heat stroke is essentially your body can't your body can't react the way it's supposed to so it overheats essentially it would overheat you into a stroke yeah yeah that essentially kind of like your homeostasis isn't firing i guess your fan isn't turning on, man. That's a great question. I don't, I don't know the answer. Way. I was just curious. Maybe think Dude, about I, it. I know we have some doctors who uh, listen to these. Um, that'd be cool to know. Yeah. We have some nurses, doctors listen to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anyone knows DM us, yeah. I, I would love to know about yeah. that. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, man, I would love to know that. Anyways, <laughs> you stumped another, Justin. Yeah. Remember we talked about that? Stump Justin. Yeah. Scott, Scott <laughs> talked about, dude, when we have guests on, we, we should have them like bring something to the table to try to stump you. The, the last like, like 10 minutes. Of yeah. The like physiology, yeah. kinesiology, like yeah. bodybuilding, health, yeah, yeah, fitness yeah. related. I have no yeah. idea what causes a heat stroke by any means, yeah. but the way you explained it mm-hmm. kind of would make sense. Mm-hmm. Is like, okay, our fan isn't that person's fan isn't turning on. I would not be surprised at all. That's really interesting. So somewhere along our evolution, we developed internal air conditioning, essentially. Your body is always a system of checks and balances. That's what homeostasis is. So let's say you get really good at working out. You just 
overload that training all the time and you get big and muscular and all this stuff. Well, you can be big and muscular and that's dope. That's really cool. We're glad that you took that route. But now here's a list of things you can't do. (laughs) You can't be a marathon runner. Okay. If you get big enough, you can't pull across your body to grab your seatbelt. <laughs> can't wipe your ass. <laughs> you can't wipe your ass. See, there, there's limitations yep. to everything. And your body kind of imposes these limitations because it gives so much over here mm-hmm. that now we have to pull from here. It's very it's a very difficult balance to find extreme anaerobic conditioning and extreme aerobic conditioning. You'll rarely find that. That's why guys in like some top tier NFL guys, some of them are such specimen like yeah. JJ Watt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or someone like him or or you know like um like a Ray Lewis. Mm-hmm. You know, he had this insane physique. He had extreme anaerobic conditioning, mm-hmm. but man, he would also play 80 snaps at middle linebacker. He had extreme aerobic conditioning. Yeah. Well, like those guys, again, the genetic expressions are just so vastly different. Mm-hmm. So when you say, you know, this, this guy's a genetic freak, yep. I mean, what does that really mean? That really means that the expressions of which his genes portray onto the body are very, very, very expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's again, the normal toggle just didn't apply to them or it's broken on them. Okay. Everything you do, your body's changing. It's charting. It's adapting. Your blood pressure rises when you work out. Your heart rate rises when you get stressed. Your metabolic output rises when you add food. It lowers when you pull food. Everything you do, the body's changing, charting, and adapting. When you're out in the weather, if you're in hot weather, you sweat. If you're in cold weather, you get the the, the shivers, the chills. You start you get the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Think about the stressor that training applies. Training is just an extreme contraction versus gravity. That's really all we're doing. And we're trying to force more gravity to pull against our intended target of the muscle. This is a massive stressor. So the body senses this and the body has to now respond to this. So how does it respond to this? Well, number one, I already mentioned the blood volume. Okay. You're, you increase your, um, your oxygen needs start breathing heavier internally. I'm about to get into why intra-workout nutrition is so fucking important. Internally, your muscle protein synthesizing is, is rising because it's needed. It's being called on. We have to recover from this. We have to be able to get back, but also your muscle protein breakdown, your MPB is also rising, which is usually in the form of cortisol. This is trying to prevent you. This is kind of where lactate, lactic acid comes into play mm-hmm. for muscle protein breakdown rising. It's a, it's not a byproduct from the direct. It is a response to what happens when this rises. It's trying to prevent you from continuing. Yeah. They're trying to prevent you from continuing. It's just, it's a feedback mechanism because mm-hmm. the body feels like it's under attack. Yeah. Cause it's a stressor. Yeah. It's a huge stressor. Just like when it's too hot outside, just like when it's too cold outside, the body has to protect so it's like when you're itself. doing those leg extensions and those drop yeah. sets and shit. And then you yeah. sit there and you're like squeezing because your legs hurt so just bad. from all the inflammation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And actually, I'm so glad you said the word inflammation. That's a massive homeostatic response. And inflammation gets this really bad rap. And it's, we need inflammation. Mm-hmm. You have to have a level of inflammation. Like some inflammation is very healthy and good. Too much is not, but too much of anything literally isn't. 
So we're contracting it's the gravity. We, we have to have this stressor in muscle protein breakdowns, rising the cortisol is high. This forces our workout to stop short. This forces the body to want to pull from amino acids or drop nitrogen levels. If your muscle protein synthesizing isn't resilient enough, or we add an intra workout nutrition, we add in the 25 grams of carbohydrates during your fucking training session, carbohydrates and amino acids as well. Essential amino acids, fantastic for intra workout. What does this do? Number one, we introduce these carbohydrates. This forces your insulin activity to be higher. Training, your body would love to have higher insulin levels. Okay. What happens when insulin rises? Insulin and cortisol do not coexist. So insulin minimizes and blunts cortisol's response. Cortisol's response is blunted, meaning muscle protein breakdown is very, very, very low. You now have the capacity to do more work in the gym. You also have the capacity for your muscle protein synthesizing and its ratio to muscle protein balance to be heavily skewed. But now we need amino acids in here to take full advantage of the muscle protein synthesizing. And now in real time, assuming hydration, uh, sodium and water, um, assuming that the balance there is, is helpful towards our goals, what we have happening in real time while you're training with proper intra-workout nutrition, you have insulin driving nutrients to the muscle, extremely anabolic. We have insulin minimizing cortisol. We have muscle protein synthesis begging for amino acids. We're given an amino acid. It is driving the amino acid directly to the muscle that we are working in real time. Why the fuck would you not want that? I mean, that's huge. How that's fast so How fast is that response? To, I know it'll, it'll vary well, between people. I mean, yeah, you know, as soon as there's a carbohydrate. Like, um, like when should you have intra workout? Yeah, so you know, I want my clients have about seventy percent of their carbohydrates around their their workout, and like ideally for that, with me is like fifty percent pre and intra. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big chunk. Like what's of your daily carbohydrate? Is intra just sitting so, the whole time, or yeah, sit, like so halfway through? Like when while we're getting warmed up on the yep. treadmill, yep. like start sipping. Okay, and then you're like three fourths of the way through the workout. Like you should probably have that down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only 25 grams of carbohydrates and maybe yeah. you know 10, 15 grams EAAs or something like that. So it's nothing too crazy. And you know, we should have that down. We should be drinking water. You know, this whole time I just prefer my clients mix it in with like 30 ounces of water and let's just crush that. You know, during your training session, with some sodium in there, like I mentioned and stuff. Um, but in real time, we can start the recovery process really like while we're still tearing down muscles immediately. Now, yeah. is that the most effective and optimal way for us to recover from a session? No, absolutely not. You still have to go home. You have to rest and you have to, you know, continue feeding nutrients and, and, you know, um, minimizing the effects of muscle protein breakdown. But that's fascinating. That is so cool that we're able to manipulate that variable. So the body wants to respond to external stressors as fast as it can. And we have a pretty freaking resilient body. It's, mm. it's pretty fucking amazing. We understand that, you know, 24, 48 hours post-workout muscle protein synthesis capabilities are much higher. So when we're consistent in the gym and we're consistently attacking, 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 we're raising that threshold as well. Now, again, genetic expressions give us a ceiling Mm -hmm. of how high that threshold can go. Yeah. Okay. 
And obviously that also dictates how much muscle you can build. Yeah. Um, uh, roughly how much muscle, how fast you can build so much muscle. Yeah. N- n- what's realistic for muscular build. That's the best way to put it. That dictates what's realistic for muscular build. Again, if you're going to be consistent with this for 30 fucking years, you're probably going to have a decent amount of muscle. Sure. All right. It doesn't matter where your genetic expression is unless you're a non-responder. Obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to have a decent amount of muscle packed in there. No one trains for 30 years and they're just tiny and pathetic. So I, I kind of feel dumb asking this Yeah. because this is old school thought, right? Yeah. This is that bro science, but that anabolic window. Yeah. You know, what, what's, yeah, what's your so there's outlook? Some, of it that the some of the principles are good and true yep but the only thing your body cares about is if we're actually getting those nutrients in across mm-hmm. the span of a day regardless now of that time. being said muscle protein synthesizing is going to be the most sensitive like they're right after a workout hence the intro so, workout carb though. yeah hence the intro workout but then um you know that's why you, a post-workout meal is crush some protein. Yeah. Like how fast can we get some in? Yeah. Like why can't you have a shake right after the gym? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like where I'm at. Because e- even if it's 0.1% better, well, fuck, dude, you do 0.1% better for 365 days and you got quite a fucking bit better. That's true. And that's what we're striving for. Yeah. You know, the 0.1% every single day and in, in all variables, that shit adds up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who are extremely elite clients are able to understand and adapt to that. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize the variables matter much. Like, yeah, the 10,000 steps matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The protein shake after workout that matters. Yeah. Having 50% of your carbs pre and intra workout that matters. 70% are on the day. Like every variable matters yeah and every variable can just be 0.1 percent yeah so the the delivery was just wrong yeah that, that's not gonna yeah. make you yoked no <laughs> yeah. no unfortunately you know it's, it's yeah. not gonna expedite results a ton but i bet after two years there there would be vast differences in your performance and physique within two years if you're just consistent with trying to get That'd that be a cool study that right. would be a two cool years study. of one person who did it yeah. directly after one person yeah. who didn't that would be really fucking yeah. cool um so like I said, the body wants to respond short term and long term. So, you know, short term responses are like I mentioned before, blood flow and heart rate. OK, long term responses are for, are referred to as hormesis. The long term response to training is packing on muscle, but only if the stimulus is correct. And we hit that minimum stimulating threshold as often as we possibly can. So let's get into training style. Why knowing just what I've talked about so far today, what is, what is the reasoning for not training to complete failure every set? And I understand when I say that, you know, you might be someone who does more than 10 working sets Per workout. I'm talking about five or six working sets per training session. Why would we not take those to the absolute extreme, knowing that our genetic expression, our genetic expression, molecular expression, muscle protein synthesizing versus muscle protein breakdown? What the body understands it needs to respond to with the external stressor, how the body responds to internal stressors. Why would we leave reps in the tank? Just food for thought. Not that I'm like trying to convince you my way is the right way or it's, you know, out the highway. There's a lot of people who train to failure shouldn't, does not apply to, and they should not do. 
I just can't imagine losing a show and being up there thinking about, fuck, I could have trained harder. Mm-hmm. I would never, ever, ever, ever be okay with that. And I can never do that. Like if it comes out tomorrow that training and failure is the worst thing for your bodybuilding endeavors, I'm still going to train and failure. Cause I can't be up there saying, have you ever I been on stage that. and thought that like in a pose and thought, not with pose? fucking training, no, not with my training, but there's been perhaps I could have done cardio harder. Mm, okay. Yeah, so that's why I switched everything to intent based cardio. That's like yep. where I learned that from. Yep. I saw myself sandbagging on cardio five weeks out from the Ohio. Really? Yeah. And that's when I came up with, man, if I added intent to this, it would change everything. Yeah. What was interesting is before that, I never saw anyone else use intent-based cardio. Well, the now same thing I see training. a ton of people utilizing intent-based cardio. It's the yeah. same as training. Yeah. We're progressive overloading training sessions. We're progressive overloading our mind. We're progressive overloading the cardio. We're progressive overloading everything. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do. That's the only way you grow. Muscles are adaptive mechanisms within the body. This means they can grow. This means they can shrink. It's also referred to as plastic in the physiology realm. More muscle, well adapted to lift. Less muscle, not very well adapted to lift. Not One is not inherently better than the other, but there are some things we notice in people who do have more muscle. Number one, maintaining higher levels of, of musculature is really fucking hard. It's, it's very difficult. It's very draining on the body to do. That's why I'm fucking tired all the time. (laughs) There's, you know, energy availability. There's external stressors. There's recovery that the body needs to be able to maintain that energy availability is the diet. Are you in a surplus? Are you in a deficit? The surplus and deficit is dictated by your internal functioning not some fucking formula you got on a calculator online. (laughs) External stressors is your environment. There's environments that are more conducive to muscle building than other ones. I got more progress in one year living in Austin, Texas than I did in two years living in Columbus, Ohio. I trained at the same. Obviously I'm in a better environment here. Well, we'll commonly see this amongst warm weather areas to cold weather areas as well. People in warm weather areas respond better. Does the body's response to having muscle? Because, I mean, we, we talked about this before, I think one off. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you were telling me that the body does not really want muscle. No, no, no. The body like doesn't Naturally, want to have we're muscle. not supposed to have yeah. muscle, especially super, super physiological. The size. body wants to be able to run from danger. Yeah. So, how quickly is the body's response to getting rid of your muscle? Very fast. Really? If, if you allow it to be, yeah. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, like, very fast but understand as you're packing on muscle you're also changing your genetic expression okay so like i could never go back to where i was pre yeah lifting yeah i I would never go back to like that point because i've changed my body my body's expression Mm -hmm. um and and but that's probably why it's so hard to put on more muscle as you get more oh yeah that's why as you start stacking yeah your body starts asking or just I don't want to say down regulating it's it's just it responds a little bit differently okay because it the the you know the, the more you grow the further you get from being able to run from danger mm-hmm. and you know I I believe there's an element of survival in there as well it's it, your body starts thinking it's not as uh, it's not fitted the best to survive mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. and so it starts just changing and adapting to that People with more muscle mass, some things that 
we notice about them. Obviously, more mental discipline. There is proper internal functioning from a hormonal level, a molecular level, a genetic level. For you to have super physiological levels of muscle mass, well, something has to be clicking. You, you can't be a shit storm internally and like grow. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. So, you know, commonly if you're growing, you're probably pretty healthy, you know, um, that's, it's a very blanket statement, but we see it time and time again. It's just true. If you're able to grow muscle tissue, your body's probably ticking along pretty okay. Less muscle mass, much higher. I'm talking much, much, much higher. And there's a lot of percentages you can find on Google. And a lot of them are in the 80 to 90% range. Well, that goes into bad inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. Higher likely, uh, more likely to have serious disease, serious, serious illness. And we commonly see poor internal functioning with these people. I remember my grandpa got diagnosed with cancer two years ago. And, um, I started kind of researching, uh, cause you know, I had some thoughts and beliefs on how one can give themselves the best opportunity to, you know, recover from cancer. Obviously, you know, he's someone who means a lot to me, so I don't want him to just yeah. you know, die after he's, uh, you know, been, yeah. been diagnosed with this. And there was research that was done and it was 86% more likely Oxford. This was Oxford. 86% more likely for someone with above average muscle mass to recover from cancer versus people with below average muscle mass. The death rate on people with below average muscle mass is exponentially greater. I think you shared this with me once. Yeah, I've talked yeah. about that before. I kind of talk about it a lot, but that goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And one, you know, one thing, even with the current pandemic happening right now, You know, now we see it's we're starting to see it's based on inflammation levels. Mm -hmm. Um, So not as much to do with muscle mass, which is really, really, really amazing because there's very few um, there's very few illnesses or diseases that I guess you can look at um, and say that there's no correlation to your muscle mass and how well you fight it off. Yeah. Okay. and so again, you know, that's something else is fascinating, but it points back to what we were saying. They're probably mentally more ready and aware to handle that because mm-hmm. they've been pushing themselves mentally with mm-hmm. their physical um, appearance and performance for so long. But also internally, they're probably functioning at a lot higher level than someone with below average muscle mass. Yeah. And I mean, you're literally harder to kill with you when you have more muscle. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of a great it, attribute. I noticed that like in this might be uh super naive to say it th- yeah. again, this blanket statement. Yeah. But I noticed that I felt like I was getting sick less. Yeah. As I continued to put on bigger. more muscle mass. And yeah. I noticed that like people who were not taking care of themselves, yeah. obviously getting more fat and more internal inflammation. Yeah. We're getting sick more. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, that's something I notice with my clients often. Yeah. That's very common feedback from lifestyle clients who stay with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, shit, man, I don't remember last time I got sick. And, you know, you see their side by sides and their physiques change so much. Yeah. And it was because the internal functioning is so much greater. Your body is so much more resilient. You know, every single day you force it to get over something. Mm-hmm. Every day you're at the gym, you're forcing it to get over something. If you have low muscle mass, it's probably never forced to get over anything. And so it just takes it all as it comes and gets yeah. sick, you know, at the snap of the fingers at um, the first exposure to something. 
the gene expression is is really amazing. That's kind of what you know dictates your growth potential, kind of as I um, alluded to earlier. And I think it's really, really, really cool because there's a lot of factors of this gene expression that we can control and turn on and off. Um, factors I mentioned earlier, like caloric surplus, caloric deficit, um, environment. And, you know, if your environment's very high stress or very low stress, that turns on. It's easier to toggle on and off uh, gene expressions. Um, as you become more consistent with it, as you get better with working out, you get better with being able to manipulate your gene expressions. No, this is never something you can just like pull up like uh, on like my player on 2K and just like change settings. In there. It's not necessarily <laughs> like that, but your body is going to be more resilient and flipping back and forth between places that it wants to go and, and, and would like to be. Building muscle tissue is a homeostatic tug of war, dude. These two are always fighting. Oh my God. Worse than Shaq and Kobe muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown. Wow. The next time they're fucking calm would be the first time they've ever been calm. Well, if they were calm, if they were calm, we'd have low, low muscle mass. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess we, we don't want any of that. They're fighting 24 hours a day, all day. This is why like fasting is not a conducive environment whatsoever to building muscle tissue. Mm. Even like, like, like intermittent fasting is great for a contest prep for certain people, I believe. But in an off season phase, intermittent fasting is not ideal at all to build muscle. Just for, you know, intermittent fasting, if you go 18 hours and you've not eaten in 18 hours. Yeah. Well, muscle protein breakdown is going to be way higher than muscle protein synthesis. Of course. And yeah, you know, it's short term that you commonly will do that. Um, We're becoming catabolic in that window. Yeah, they're, they're becoming extremely catabolic, you know, during that time frame. I shouldn't say extremely. Again, it's it matters. On Is this why you like carb cycling? Because um, you're still yeah. you're still taking in nutrients over the time. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of carb cycling um, in my contest prep clients. You know, for this exact reason, um, because something else that can preserve amino acids and that's anabolic in nature is carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So if we just go to low carbohydrates all the time, your body's going to your body's not going to have a ton of preservation for the tissue for muscles, for amino acids. Now, you know, if we see someone who has a lot of body fat to lose, we'll probably just put them on a straight uh, diet with, you know, higher protein, uh, a low to a low moderate level of carbohydrates and a health, uh, a health focused uh, amount of fat in their diet. Um, why this is, isn't because carbohydrates are bad or the devil or that's their downfall or anything like that. Carbohydrates, it's nothing like that. It's just we have a lot of stores mm-hmm. to use to support the energy output that I want you to have before your body. I mean, gluconeogenesis is not a very energy efficient way for your body to function. And that's when your body turns an amino acid into a glycogen and then it gets stored as glycogen or used as glycogen right away. Commonly gets, um, you know, commonly if that's being undergone, it's going to be used pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So if someone has a lot of body fat to lose, it's like, dude, your body has so many places to pull from. So we don't worry about it as much. But for carbs, like in a contest prep, obviously that person doesn't have a ton of body fat to lose. Obviously they're already yeah, like in yeah, decent yeah. shape yeah. for a you know, normal. I person. was just thinking like you're keeping calories low. Yeah. I yeah. presume in that, in that yeah. stage. And that's extremely catabolic. Yeah. And then, you know, we have some high days here and there, whatever it is, whether it's a five, two, whether it's a high, low, mm-hmm. uh, leg, normal, whatever, whatever the split is. Um, and, 
on those high days, we're essentially able to refill glycogen stores, which is going to last us, you know, maybe two or three days, depending on how lean we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, when you're real shredded, it can only last you a day. But when you're real shredded and it's only going to last you a day, we're commonly reverse dieting anyways into the show at that point. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a big, huge benefit of carb cycling is you're able to toggle back between genetic expressions of growth versus, versus uh, anabolic versus catabolic. So how I want you to view, because I really want you guys to understand how important muscle protein synthesis versus breakdown is. Let's think about a beehive. We have good bees and we have bad bees and the good bees are the muscle protein synthesis and the bad bees are muscle protein breakdown and we're fighting over protein expression. And so the good bees have the honey in the hive and, you know, they're producing more honey trying to, you know, build the hive and, and, you know, they're trying to be productive um, for their community. And the bad bees keep coming in trying to steal that honey. If there's more bad bees than good bees, eventually there's not going to be any honey left in there. If there's more muscle protein breakdown versus muscle protein synthesis, eventually there's not going to be any way for you to build muscle. Okay, so think about that, that constant give take and you can only minimize muscle protein breakdown so far because it's not like you can just ingest carbohydrates like every 10 minutes all day and not have an extremely high fasted blood glucose score and lose your insulin sensitivity. So again, it's a give take and it's a checks and balances. Your body is going to adapt to everything you're doing. It's always charting and it's always adapting to what you're forcing it to adapt to. Your external environment and your training style influence genes a ton. To what level, to what degree do we know from person to person? No, but we know that it's a ton. So if you're an extremely high stress person, um, you have a lot of stressors going on at work with your personal life, um, at home, socially, you know, whatever it is. Well, you know, we can still build muscle as long as you're training with enough intensity. If you're not training with enough intensity, we're leaving some reps in the tank and whatnot, you're probably not going to build muscle. And, you know, on top of that, you're probably not going to get a huge mental release from training, which is, you know, that's that's an internal environment that we have to adapt to. It's it's an internal stressor we have to adapt to. And, you know, so your body, your body relies on training intensity quite a bit. And that's why, you know, if you're my client, um, you understand why I put more emphasizing on training than anything else, because even in a less than ideal setup, as long as you're training the true team, Haley training style, the way I teach you guys how to train, you're, you know, we're still going to change your physique, mm. Well, you can't be shit in the bed with calories. I mean, Jesus fuck Christ, you can't be that bad of an asshole, but assuming you're able to execute also, we're going to change your physique big time, uh, you know, with our training stimulus. If you're someone who you, you live in an extremely low stress environment and you, you never really, there's not a ton, your body's very comfortable with what's around you. You can definitely build muscle, leaving some reps in the tank. You absolutely can, because again, your body's going to be more apt to turn on the, you're, we're not playing this huge tug of war with genetic expression and what we have to express at this time, what we have to adapt to. So it's going to be much more apt wanting to turn on these growth factors and and just the growth genes, the growth expression. Mm -hmm. If you're someone in a low stress environment, I heard something unique once it was on a podcast. It was, uh, I heard it a while ago, but the, it was a 
bodybuilder. Yeah. Uh, he was a, he, he competed and he said that what he likes to do, he's like, he, he kept going, repeating it. Cause I go prone after I work out, I go prone, oh always go prone. God, like go lay down pretty <laughs> yeah. much. Yeah. But I mean like in the sense, I kind of do that. I was going to say in the sense from the way you're explaining this, that would kind of make sense. Cause you're going from a high stress environment, extreme cortisol, yep. you know, release because of the weight training. Yep. And then you're going to complete de-stress. Yeah. And yeah. that would benefit you. And the faster we can, you know, switch our brain, um, you know, we want to be in a parasympathetic state and that's where we're going to recover the best. Mm-hmm. How fast can we get there? Well, fuck you go home and lay down. You're there. Chill. Hit your yeah. protein shake, lay down. You're good. Interesting. And, and you know, you're going to be able it's to funny how all this stuff starts clicking a little yeah. bit when you, yeah. when you explain it. Well, it's also like the, infl- the uh, inflammatory response yeah. as well. And, you know, I say this and like, we're kind of fortunate to like live a, appropriate bodybuilder lifestyle like we you know we work from home we share sure, schedules sure. we go train and we go back to the, you know stuff like that yeah so how do we do this if we have to go to work after we train it's easy you listen to the meditation podcast we dropped you start practicing your meditation after you get done with your training session you know you clean yourself up you drive in the car to the gym you just meditate with yourself turn yourself into a parasympathetic state okay have your protein shake meditate allow your mind to be free Collect your thoughts back, file them away, go to work, and you're going to be in control of your thoughts all day. You're going to be in control of yourself all day, and your brain's not going to be in in a stressed fight-or-flight response state. Obviously, when we're at the gym, it's extreme fight-or-flight response. I mean, if you're someone who you're an advanced trainee and you're pushing limits in the gym, like every single day, your nervous system understands that at some point it's in a, like it's sensing a massive threat mm-hmm. and it's trying to protect itself from that threat. Muscle protein breakdown. Um, it, it, it is funny, like explaining this um, because I see what you're saying with like the whole clicking thing. Yeah. Like, I feel well, like, I feel it, like when I say something like I just did, I, I feel like I feel listeners yeah. like, oh, yeah, like for me, I mean, I'm again, not your level of education, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. I'm thinking of, I'm visualizing, my, visualizing myself like doing a squat. Absolutely. Pre and post squat. Absolutely. Or like my intro workout carbs. How am I taking them? When yep. am I taking them? Yeah. My post-workout meal, you shake, whatever. Why all the 0.1% matter Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how all of the body responses to each Everything. one of those little bullet Every points. Every single one. Um, Audrey asked me to say in, uh, in um, one of my group chats with my clients, she said, do steps from the bike count? And that's a very fair question. You, yeah, get, off, you, know, yeah. you get off the bike and your steps went up yep. pretty dramatically. And Jasmine answered it perfectly uh, before I got to it. She said, well, so I take my watch off uh, before I do any cardio mm-hmm. at all. I take my watch off because that that variable is independent of steps. Okay. Okay. So if your cardio that I have listed for you, there's 25 minutes, low intensity, steady state uh, on an elliptical well, I, no, I don't do that anyways. If it's two and a half miles on the elliptical or it's 120 stairs uh, or floors on the stairmaster, yeah. we don't count those as steps. So we leave our phone outside of our pocket. If that's what you use to count your steps, so you take your Apple watch off and yeah. you don't have it there. That does not count towards your daily steps. Yeah. That's an independent variable. Yeah. And it's 0.1% from that cardio. Yeah. It's 0.1% from hitting your 10 or 11 or 12 or nine, so eight, however you, many steps. You do that and then it's 10,000 steps. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So 10,000 steps is independent from two and a half miles on the elliptical is independent from a hyperdrive class. Yep. 
if you have those variables to hit every day, they're mm-hmm. they they do not coincide. They're all independent. Dude, yeah. I hope if, if anybody does, like you say, some people take notes. Yeah. I hope they're taking notes and then all I could just visualize all these bullet yeah. points. Yeah, all these like, like the, the advantage one, you would have. The point one percent adds up. Yeah. What happens when you have so you know, let's just take a step. This is going a little bit off my uh my my plan here. Let's let's take a step on these percentages. So we have training. And taking your training sets to a place where I want you to take your training sets to versus where most people take training sets to, point one. We have three cardio variables, maybe. Those are each point one. We have diet. If you do your diet and you zero out your macros every day versus three grams off, congrats, point one. Sleep, point one. Hydration. Point one. You guys see where I'm getting at here? These aren't even all the variables that we have throughout the day, and we're almost at a full percentage point better mm. every single day that you get. And you can say that that's not how it works. But yes, your body is charting, assessing, and adapting every single thing you do. And all of these are 0.1%. Every day, we can literally get a percentage point better than we were the day before. If you just hit each independent variable with the intent of which I expect you to hit, or if you have a coach who's not a soft fucking coach, they expect you to hit. And you could win that that competition. Well, fuck all of a sudden, a week, all of a sudden in a week, you just got seven percent better. Yeah, than you could have been just yeah. by being perfect, just by being perfect. So people, you know, the problem with nowadays is there's this instant gratification. And you notice how I never share my client transformations that are a, a month or two months. Yeah. I have yeah. some ridiculous ones. Yeah. I never do that. No, because I don't want you to fucking hire me thinking that in two months we're going to do that. I show you the motherfuckers been me a year. Yeah. What's the magazine cover analogy? It, it's again. the magazine cover analogy. It's yeah. exactly that. Yeah. And that person that had the insane two month transformation well, their genetic fact, their genetic expressions were probably a little bit higher than you as well. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 probably an outlier. So I don't share because I feel like it's false advertising. Like, oh man, I'm just gonna That's hire just in two months. and yeah. he's just gonna change. Him. I didn't yeah. know you just. I didn't know you do that. Intent, yeah, intently. Yeah, I never do that. Yeah. I only share long term people. Yeah, and you know, like there's some wicked transformations that yeah, I can throw up and get some inquiries and all that shit, but God damn, that's like, that's not what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, again, I'm, I want to work with long-term people and have a relationship with these people. Yeah. So let's go back to genetic expressions. Look at someone who's sedentary and eats a lot of fast food. We can talk about all the, uh, all the internal functioning things and the, the choices that we can change to make things better here. But a sedentary person who eats a lot of fat food, they're fat. Whether it's skinny fat, whether it's fat fat, they're fat. They're also not listening to this podcast, so that's okay. If you're if you're offended by me calling someone fat, that's on you. That ain't on me. Someone who's active and trains to failure every day and eats wholesome foods. What do you think they look like? I think they probably look similar to me. Probably pretty good. And they're they're probably doing okay. Yeah, you know, your their their genetic expressions for growth and positive body composition are very, very, very high. They're maximizing what they have there. So, again, you know, I've talked about the sprinter and the marathon analogy, mm-hmm. like why you want to train so heavy. You want to look like a sprinter. You want to look like a marathon runner. And this is kind of the same thing. The way in which you, you make life choices and you conduct uh, the, the environment you put yourself in and, you know, the way that you handle your daily output, all your physique literally shows it. Okay. So if you're not real happy with where your physique is, pick it up. Your body wants you to. Your body will work with you. I promise you it'll work with you. It just takes a little time. 
You know, people want the instant gratification. And, you know, they they give it a perfect week and they don't look perfect after that. Yeah. Well, no, you have to be perfect for eight months. <laughs> you have to be perfect for two years. Yeah. I had this conversation with a client of mine at the Bullfrog Nutrition Meetup when we were in Columbus. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I was with uh, Kylie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Kylie's someone, she'd been with me a while. And she, you know, was never quite where she wanted to be. And, you know, like that's frustrating for me as a coach. You know, I enjoy her a lot as a human. I consider her a friend. Yep. Um, you know, she, she's a very persistent person, very driven person. But, you know, I was never sure if it was going to click for her to get exactly what she wanted. Yeah. And there's a couple of big turning points. Our conversation being one of them. She's really good friends with Erica Childress. And I know she looks up to Erica a lot. And I know Erica looks up to Kylie a lot. Yeah. So she's good friends with John as well. Yep. So, you know, Erica like sees John go or um, Kylie sees John go through his prep and, you know, he gets fucking nasty and does real well. Yeah. yeah. Um, But, well, it's, it's, you know, it's a dude using steroids. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to relate. Yeah. So then, you know, Erica enters into prep. And around the time Erica entered into prep, a couple people that I know really look up to Erica, including Kylie. They, they look up to each other quite a bit. They're really close friends. All their progress started getting better. Because, I mean, I pushed Erica really hard in a growth phase for two fucking years, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there were times she like wanted to compete and prep and cut and all that stuff. And we just didn't do it because yeah. she, you know, the envision. The thing with Erica and John, why they're perfect clients is because I know they're fucking not going anywhere. Yeah. So I can do whatever the fucking needs yeah, to yeah, be yeah. done. I don't need to satisfy their right now. Yeah. Because they see that long term. Yeah, they don't have the initial the the ego for that. No, no, they, they don't need they don't need the, you know, quick the instant gratification. They don't need yeah. the instant gratification. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, I know that there were definitely times there. She never said it to me, but there were definitely times Erica was like, what the fuck's Justin doing with me? <laughs> you know, you just, they, I just knew I never had to worry about it with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Like they're not going to get bored getting better. Yeah. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not commonly the case. So now Erica's getting in this contest prep and man, oh, she's getting fucking nasty. Yeah, she looks great. She looked crazy. She yeah. still does. Yeah. But what did I see with Kylie? I see dramatically improved Did results. Did she exponentially? Exponentially. Like it came out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Dude, Kylie just shared that 13 week transformation yep. yesterday on my Instagram story. I'm going to post that up on my page here soon. And I'm going to tell this whole story. Kylie's been with me a year and a half for two years. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, I think we're coming up on two years. Nice. And, um, you know, she started with me and, you know, she, she had a lot of body fat mm-hmm. and she didn't have a lot of muscle mass. And, you know, like I would say, you know, she was a 70% client. 70% of the time she played close attention to the protocol. 30% of the time Kylie did what Kylie wanted to do. And we weren't appreciating sacrifice for what it was, but okay. I knew Kylie had it in her. Okay. That's why I never gave up on her. And that's why I, I coach her differently. And I coach other people. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this goes back to understanding clients, empathetic side being empathetic with clients yeah and i understand kylie needs coach a little bit differently than other people in a, in a good way mm-hmm. it's perfectly I kylie loves like any client kylie enjoys the feeling of making me proud but kylie needs it a lot worse yeah than, or she wants it a lot worse than other clients okay. not dissimilar to like how i am with matt yep like she's not gonna go begging for it yeah but she really wants it yeah yeah and that's special that's the special thing because that shows trust and it shows maturity on her part 
that she's not doing it just for herself. Mm -hmm. She's doing it for something bigger. So I'm seeing Kylie, you know, I'm seeing Kylie elevate along with, you know, her good friend, Erica. And then I see her at the bullfrog meetup and we talk about bodybuilding. Isn't about how hard can you train? How much protein can you eat? How many drugs can you take? Bodybuilding is about how long can you be perfect? How long can you go without fucking up? 100% every day. I'm mm-hmm. talking about that. All those point ones, you hit them every single day. And until you compile those point ones every single day, every day is perfect. Not 99% because 99% is not perfect. We are 100% we're looking and begging for more. That's what perfect is. Nothing less than that. You're training the way I want you to train, doing the intent-based cardio the way I want you to do, zeroing out macros, recovering. Give You're sacrificing some social life for a goal that's bigger than that. Temporarily sacrificing for permanent mm-hmm. results and adulation. So Kyle and I had this talk. This is what it takes. I mapped out for her what it takes, what it looks like. I referenced a few of my clients who have been perfect every day for years. Some of them are coaches on my roster. And all of them have massive achievements. And it clicked mm-hmm. for her. Oh, fuck. Those point ones, I'm, some days I'm only at point one. Some days I'm only at point two. You know, this is just what's going on in Kylie's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I could be 1.5% every day. Yep. Like, man, imagine how cool to be there. Yeah. And now all of a sudden we have this 13 week transformation. That's absolutely fucking stupid. Yeah. Cause of the I mean, she looks like a new human. Yeah. She, she doesn't look the same anymore. Yeah. How does her, she feel? Her ins- Amazing. Yeah. Her Instagram posts are different. Yep. Her Instagram stories are different. Yep. Her in- engagement is different. Her business growth is different and it absolutely goes hand in hand with yeah. how fucking well you're conducting yourself. We've talked about it a million times. The world gives you what you give it. Yep. She's giving all of this literally perfection. Yeah. And now she's getting it back. Yeah. And so we had that talk at Bullfrog and it's still clicking. That's awesome. And so right now we're on a little diet break. Mm-hmm. Just seeing where her body wants to go. Yeah. You know, because we pushed hard. Sure. Okay? Sure. And if it can handle more, we're going to go further. Mm-hmm. If, you know, we need to go a different direction, we're going to go a different direction. Does she plan to compete? That's Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Good. She's big into it. She really wants to. That's she cool. actually just got her team Haley Posey suit. Nice. And, you know, so now it's like we're not molding a mentality anymore. Now the mentality is fixed. Yep. Now I can make you whatever you want to be. Yeah. It's going to take time. Sure. But I can make you whatever you want to be. It's going to take sacrifice, but I can make you whatever, well, it's whatever you want to be. It's not dissimilar to Eric and John. 100%. Yeah. Like wherever, wherever you want to be, wherever you visualize, I promise it's not close to my vision there. Yeah. And I feel that about a majority of my clients. I don't think you can see what I see. Yeah. And that's why I get so excited for some of them. That's really cool. Like, uh, like fucking Kim Brankin, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Remember yeah. That day I had to call her and like tell her like, Hey Kim. So like, um, dude, I don't really know how to say, it. I literally <laughs> told her on the phone. I was like, this is real uncomfortable for me to say, cause I've had to have so few of these conversations before, but like, so you've never competed, but, um, yeah, you're like really good. <laughs> you should. <laughs> hey, well, well, she was in prep. Was she in prep? She okay. was in, well, I wanted to bring up, I wanted to, I wanted to broaden her mind on mm-hmm. national stage. Okay. Like she's someone who like, I told her to enjoy competing as an amateur for okay. as much as she can, okay. because she's not going to be there long. Got it. Okay. And 
there's a blessing and a curse behind that because most people will, most professional athletes will say compete as an amateur was way more fun. Okay. But the other side is now you're a professional athlete. So there's probably less pressure. That's yeah. probably what it is. Like I'm sure playing in college football, you know, at a big school is more fun than the NFL. Yeah. I, I would assume that it is. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so, so <laughs> we had to have that talk with her about, dude, you're really good. <laughs> This is what we need to look at <laughs> yeah. because it needs to be way like, like, uh, and she was shocked. She, you know, yeah. she has no fucking idea what sure. she's getting into, sure, sure. but like, you don't look like other people, Yeah, you know? And I know Kim listens to this podcast. So the, the great thing about Kim is nothing I can say. She could win the Olympia and she like, she just wouldn't have an ego. Really? It's like, cool. So like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, like short term excitement. Yeah. And then yeah. what's next? It's, it literally. Yeah. Right, what's the plan? Nice. Like, what's the plan? You just won the Olympia, <laughs> homie. Fuck you. Me. What's the plan? You made it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can honestly say I don't really have much plans for post Olympia. <laughs> so just Kim, find out Kim, when you get there. Kim, let's go. Let's go win an Olympia, dude. Yeah. It's going to take some time. Let's fucking do that shit. Um, Got it. Now, now we went so far off there. I don't know where I'm out of my yeah, notes. Sorry but, about but, that. You know, that. That's perfect. Like that shit. That's what helps people, man. Yeah. Like you want to be a Kylie. Yeah. Then do this shit. Um, and oh, another reason I brought up Kim is her genetic expression is so, she's an, such an outlier. Yeah. You could just tell. Yeah. I mean, the progress she made with me completely natural yep. was absolute. Like other people just don't do that. Um, and you know, another thing about Kim and something else about Kylie is well, obviously with Kylie, you know, she's been with me so goddamn long that it, it speaks for itself, but that connection that we have, mm -hmm. like they're both friends of mine mm -hmm. and I, I feel like I've known them like both forever. I just feel like I've known them for naturally. So long. Yeah, nice. yeah. Um, and you know, that goes back to those coaching podcasts we've done that dude, you better have a connection with your coach. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm really proud of Kylie. She's, you know, done a really good job and everyone listening to this podcast knows Kylie. Um, she's done a really, really good job. So back to training, back to adaptation, how we grow. Training is catabolic and anabolic. As we discussed, Mus muscle protein synthesis, muscle protein breakdown, both, both increase and stay elevated post-exercise with proper intra and post-exercise nutrition. We can lower muscle protein breakdown. We can raise muscle protein synthesis. This is obviously what you want to do. You want to take advantage of this. The, the bigger, the gap between the two and man, I really wish there was a way to read them. Like how cool would it be to have a glucometer for muscle protein synthesis and breakdown? If only I knew uh, what a glucometer was. <laughs> <laughs> what you take your blood sugar with. Oh, you, that's, you, that's what it's you, called. Yeah. Where you the prick, prick and you okay. take it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's so funny, <laughs> but it's perfect. Cause you know, someone else probably thought that too. Yeah. Um, insulin is anti-catabolic. Okay. And insulin is one of the more anabolic, um, hormones we can, we can have present in the body. So we want to take advantage of that. Obviously, if you're an enhanced uh, athlete, you can, you know, utilize exogenous insulin um, and, and that helps kind of take care of this. Uh, but, you know, for for folks who do not use exogenous insulin, uh, we want to take advantage of that by increasing insulin, you know, during your training session with which carbohydrates and protein both do. They both force insulin to go high. Obviously, carbohydrates force a greater insulinogenic response um, and and then uh, protein does. But Insulin's anti-catabolic, so let's take advantage of it. Post-exercise, when you, you, insulin level is going to be a little high, um, so we want to take advantage of those. Give the body what it wants, then it's going to grow. We can only alter the genes that are being expressed if we force them to change. You can't just go train and then fuck off with your diet and expect your body to put a growth expression on. 
everything had all systems have to be heading in the right. God, I hate that term systems. I hate really? people say that. So I, I was, I was thinking of a race car. <laughs> all, all of your body's uh, function needs to be mechanisms functioning. They all need to be headed in the right direction. So the theory of hormesis and homeostasis, the body does its best to recover from external stressors, both short and long-term your recovery, your training stimulus, your protein intake, the, the ratio of which you can get muscle protein synthesis versus muscle protein breakdown, your internal hormonal functioning. Um, all of those things, there's a, there's just so many factors that dictate growth versus catabolic activity. If you want to grow muscle, make sure that everything you're doing points in that direction of growing muscle. You want to lose body fat, make sure everything you're doing dictates that direction, but also make sure that we're trying, you know, with training, with protein intake, with recovery, we're also giving the body, um, you know, what it needs to be able to preserve muscle. It really is this simple. And this is the meaning of this after this podcast is a lot different than what it would be before this podcast. If you tell your body to grow, it'll grow. If you tell your body to be small, it's going to be small. So assess where you are right now, because what your body is right now is what you've told it to be with all of your collective decisions over the past, however many years you've been on this earth. Okay. And assess where you want to go from there. And how does this that we just learned today, how does this take you closer to there? We have to apply stimulus. We have to force change. The direction of which you're headed is a complete culmination of your internal functioning and of the stimulus that you've placed upon your body, of what you force it to adapt to, internal stressors, external stressors, all of those things that we discuss. Okay. So I love talking about physiology and stuff like this. It's, it's, God, it's every time it just fascinates me. It's, it's mind blowing. It it's really just fun is. to listen it's, in like those little light bulbs that you were yeah, talking about. Yeah. It's, it's fun when things start clicking. Yeah. Um, I hope this helps you guys. I hope this helps you kind of understand and visualize. And like I said, I really hope you guys took notes throughout this one because there's a lot of stuff in here to grab onto. And, you know, this is very, um, this is, this is not extremely deep into any of these things, but it, I think this was deep enough for you to understand what you need to do to grow. And I think there's a lot of thinking boys from here too. the training stimulus and the way, the manner of which you train is that forcing growth. Um, are we forcing on, are, are we focusing on barbells, which is, you know, if you get really fucking strong on each body part with a barbell, I bet you're going to look pretty fucking good. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a lot of focus on machines and cables. So then do they have a time and a place, mm -hmm. but get really, really, really just assess your training. Get, are you really strong with a barbell in every single movement? If not, that needs to be our first, you know, focus. How far are we taking sets? How many sets are we doing? Are we constantly supersetting or are we allowing ourselves to put our 100% into a straight set and then recover from that to 100%? Are we always taking these 90 second rest periods? If so, you're not always going to be re recovered fast enough to give 100% in the next set. That's what matters with training. You want to know the team Mahaley training style? I'm going to let you on a little fucking secret. Low volume and extremely high intensity, such high intensity that you can't even fucking handle it without getting fucking scared thinking about it. That's the team Haley training style. We're going to take us 100% complete recovery rest periods, whether that's five minutes, six minutes, whatever it is. Not a huge fan of supersets. Most of my clients who I utilize supersets with, it's in a place where I don't believe they're going to be able to go to the place I want with a straight set. 
every single workout, every single exercise in a workout, every single rep in a workout set, it's all accounted for every single one of them. Nothing fluffy, nothing fairy, none of that shit. It's work, 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 work. It's overloading. It's forcing the stimulus. It's forcing your body's muscle protein synthesis to be way higher than muscle protein breakdown. It's forcing the internal gene expression to be flipped, to changing towards the stimulus you're placing upon it. It's forcing that minimum stimulating threshold to be met every single day. Okay, that's how we train. I don't know how you train. That's how we train. And, you know, we do pretty well with that. I would highly, highly, highly recommend more people training that way. If you're doing 20 sets per body part, if you're doing 20 sets on any training session you're doing throughout the week, not a single one of those sets was hard. If you're doing 15 sets on a single training session in the gym, at any point during the week, not a single one of those was done hard enough. Somewhere from the six to, my God, 10 10 sounds terrible. <laughs> Somewhere from that six to 10 set range, that's about where you need to be. I did nine sets yesterday. I did six sets of uh, bent over rows. I did three sets of barbell curls. And I am absolutely fucked today. Now, I, I, I got done with that workout. And I looked at Megan. And I was like, when's the last time I fucking did nine sets? She was like, dude, I don't know. That, looks, that sucks. Yeah. I, I just, I never do I that. I remember some of your leg days are fairly low uh, yeah dude some of my leg days are three sets yeah um when you do those heavy leg presses geez, those, those, yeah uh squats yeah it'll be a safety bar squat yeah. a leg extension a leg curl one set on each and it's like that was enough mm-hmm. that, that was all i needed so i hope this kind of helps paint a clear picture um if there's things you want me to elaborate on i can obviously do that in another podcast we love when you share this we love when you rate us give us comments all that stuff we're here to help you we want to make this yours okay so for episode 15. Whoa. Only 85. We're getting there, man. Dude, only 85 till 100. I remember when we were 100 away from 100. And now look where we are. That wasn't that long ago. Nope. <laughs> Progressive overload. All right. You guys have made us one of the top 20 podcasts in America. Let's get to the top 10. That's the next goal. Let's do it. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it as a team. So for episode 14. 15. 15. covering how we grow and some physiology behind that. I hope you enjoyed. We will see you again Friday.